Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 to 11. Numbers 27, verses 1 to 11. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepher, son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. They came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers, who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives, and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan, that he may possess it. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. We're going to jump forward now to Numbers 36, verse 1 to 13. Numbers 36, verses 1 to 13. The family heads of the clan of Gilead, son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the descendants of Joseph, came and spoke before Moses and their leaders and the heads of the Israelite families. They said, When the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as inheritance to the Israelites by lot, he ordered you to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now, suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes then their inheritance will be taken from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into. And so part of the inheritance allotted to us will be taken away. When the year of Jubilee for the Israelites comes, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribe into which they marry, and their property will be taken from the tribal inheritance of our ancestors. Then the Lord's command, Moses, gave this order to the Israelites. What the tribe of the descendants of Joseph is saying is right. This is what the Lord commands for Zelophehad's daughters, that they marry anyone they please, as long as they marry within their father's tribal clan. No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. Every daughter who inherits land in any Israelite tribe must marry someone in their father's tribal clan, so that every Israelite will possess the inheritance of their ancestors. No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another, for each Israelite tribe is to keep the land it inherits. So Zelophehad's daughters did as the Lord commanded Joseph, Moses. Zelophehad's daughters, Mala, Tirzah, Hogla, 
Milcah and Noah married their cousins on their father's side. They married within the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in their father's tribe and clan. These are the commands and regulations the Lord gave through Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rob, for reading. Thank you, uh, Rob, as well, for leading and praying for our time together. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Matthew. It's a pleasure to be um, uh, preaching. Uh, may I give a good warm welcome to any who's uh, new today, any who are new watching online as well. It's good to have you with us. So we're at our final uh, section of numbers. Friends, we are very nearly there. Where? I hear you ask. The end of this numbers series? Yes, but that's not actually what I'm thinking about. Uh, the end of this building work? Yes, the main church building is, is nearly done, but there's a little way to go over here. We're hearing of hiccups and things along the way. Uh, the end of COVID? Oh, I hope so, but it, it feels like perhaps we're having some hiccups along the way there too. We're very nearly there. Where? To the end of the world. We're very near to coming into the new world, the new creation. According to the Bible, it is the next thing that will happen in the story. We're just waiting for Jesus to come back and bring it about. We are very nearly there. But it can be hard, can't it, to really digest this. It's hard to imagine it. It's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to be stirred emotionally about it. And, and it's hard to know how it should affect our lives in any real way because it's, it's too big. It's too unreal. It's too much for us to digest this future that is coming. But we are very nearly there. And I think this passage can help us engage with the idea both for Christians who know it but can't get our hearts behind it, but also for those of you who aren't Christians and just thinking about what it is that we believe about the future. You see, we're right at the end of Numbers and their situation relates to our situation because they are so nearly there. They're right at the very edge of the promised land. They're just about to take it. The very next thing is to go in. And we're ending with these two connected passages from the final section of Numbers. They're the bookends of this section. And from this we'll see what it's like to live in anticipation of going into the land. And we're going to see three things today for us. And the first is that the inheritance to come will be the best. The inheritance to come will be the best. This final section of Numbers, it's, it's about getting to, ready to go in and, and take possession of the land. And, and there are instructions for that time when they get there. Uh, how to divide up the land, who gets what, how to keep it pure, how to worship God when they get there. It's all about the land that they're going into. And it's the same in these two passages. We won't go into the details just yet. But you can see as we read them that it's all about land and inheritance. In that first passage, the daughters, they come asking, who will inherit the land in their family? And God's answer is that they will inherit the land. 
And then in that second passage, the elders come and, and they said, you've told us about the daughters inheriting the land, but that might cause a problem. And, and God answers and he explains what they're meant to do. The inherited land, it must stay together uh, in tribes. So it's all about this land, all about this inheritance to come. And so we should ask, why this focus? Why so much interest in that land? And the answer is that it's because it's what we've been waiting for all this time. And it will be so good when they finally take it. The promised land is the big promise of God, isn't it? We go back to, uh, to Abraham, Genesis 12. God says, I will give you a land, a wonderful land. And it will be your home. But it's taken so long. Abraham, he went into the land, but he was a foreigner there, never at home there. And then his descendants, they they had to leave and go to Egypt, and they were enslaved there. And then when they finally get out of Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness for another 40 years, just desperate to get home. We all know that holidays are nice, but there's something about just looking forward to getting back home, isn't there? Well, even worse, when you're, when you're kept from your home, you long to be there. It's so much harder. Well, the promised land is their home. And it's so important in the Bible story. It's there in the land that God is going to pour out His blessing upon them. And this land is going to be like going back to Eden. Back at peace with God again. And this land is is a picture of the world to come, eternity and the new creation with God. It's so important. And here, at the end of Numbers, they are literally days away from going into the land. They're on the other side of the River Jordan. They can see Jericho across the way. They're so close now, and the excitement is rising. And these stories are a chance for us to watch some people who really appreciate how special it is. And we've got to remember that we're in just the same situation. We're nearly there. The new world to come. And it will be the best. It will be better than the best. In Numbers, the promised land was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. We've had talk of olive oil and pomegranates. and Well, the new creation is described like a banquet. An abundant feast. And it's similar because food and drink, they're they're for special occasions. They're not just functional, they're wonderful to be enjoyed and savoured. They're a treat for our senses. And our our life to come in, in the new world, it will be one great celebration. In Numbers, the promised land was described as a place of peace from all enemies. Well, the new creation is described as a place of peace from all enemies and all form of suffering and pain. No war, no sickness, no cancers, no COVID. Freedom from fear, freedom to enjoy life wholeheartedly with God. And in Numbers, the promised land, it was described as a place to worship God. There's been all those regulations for how to worship when in the land. Well, in the new creation, it's described as the place of uninhibited, face-to-face worship of our God. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in all their glory. It will be the best. And worship will be the best thing about it. So if they're getting excited about going into the land, if it's their only topic of conversation, how much more should we be getting excited about the new world to come? Do we talk about it? Um, For myself, not that much really. I've noticed the people who do talk about it are often older folk, those who know they're really not that far off now, uh, people speaking with joyful confidence about the world to come. But really, it should be all of us. The inheritance to come will be the best. Second, the inheritance to come will be for everyone. They're talking about receiving this promised land, but then these concerns come up about how it could go wrong and how people could start to lose out on their land. And and God makes it clear in response that no one will miss out. The inheritance to come will be for everyone. So let's go to chapter 26 to start off with. The first people to raise their concern are these five daughters of Zelophehad. And their concern is that their place, uh, the place of their family and their land is going to be lost. Because you see, they're in an unusual situation. They are unmarried, fatherless daughters. Their father had died. He was the head of the family, the one who would have been given a plot of land but he died. And he, there was no son. Sons inherited in Israel, not daughters. For daughters, it was in marriage that they inherited. Now they inherited land with their husband in his family. But these women were also unmarried. Unmarried, fatherless daughters. So what would they get? Would they have a place? So they come to God. Perhaps could we? Inherit the land? Now, this is countercultural, isn't it? This would have raised a few eyebrows of the people standing around at the tent of meeting hearing this request. But it's a good request. This is right. It wouldn't be okay for them to lose their name and to lose their land. So that's what will happen. They will inherit. But it's not a perfect solution because it throws up another problem which is addressed in chapter 36. The elders then here, they raise a concern. The daughters were concerned that their family would lose their land. The elders are concerned that the tribe will lose their land. You see, these daughters having inherited the land, they they might go and marry men from another tribe. And so then ownership of, of sort of that bit of land would go with them. So it might be that a family over in Judah own a bit of land over in Gad. And and the inheritance and the land and the ownership would all get mixed up. And that wouldn't be good either. And again, God says, this is right. It wouldn't be okay for the land to move from tribe to tribe. So God says they must marry within their tribe. And do you see what's going on? The land. It's so precious that it must be fairly distributed 
Uh, that's what's described in some of the earlier chapters here in Numbers. It must be fairly distributed. There's not going to be a race, the strong rushing in and taking their, the, you know, the best bits of land. It's going to be fairly distributed. Everyone will get their share, but then everyone will keep their share. Even if life goes against you, if, you, if your dad dies, if you've got no brother, if you don't get married, you still won't lose out. God cares just as much about you. The inheritance to come will be for everyone. But look, I don't think these are perfect solutions. As you can see, one solution uh, led to another problem, which led to a compromise. There must be, if we can put it reverently towards God, a better way for everyone to inherit. And friends, that's where Jesus Christ comes in, in so many ways in numbers, haven't we? We've seen how this all points forward to Jesus Christ. Well, here's another one. In the New Testament, we are told the new way in which everyone will inherit and how it will be completely fair. And we're given two pictures of how it is that we receive our inheritance in the new creation, the new world to come, and they both relate to this. One... In the New Testament, we're told that we will be sons and co-heirs with Christ. You could look at Galatians 4, for example. And here it says that Jesus is the true Son of God, but He shares His sonship with us. And so we inherit with Him. A place in the world to come is only really the right of Jesus. But He shares His inheritance with us as sons and co-heirs. The other picture, though, is that we are all now brides of Christ. So you look at Revelation 21, for example. Jesus is the groom, and he marries the people of God. And in this great wedding on the last day, we're united to him. We become one flesh with him, and all that's his is ours. So in the Old Testament, you inherited, if you were a son or if you got married, and unmarried fatherless daughters were a problem. But the wonder of the gospel is that we all become sons, and we all become brides, and so we all inherit with Christ. Look, it's a fairly mixed metaphor, isn't it? Maybe it's a tricky one to get our heads around, but the point is there is no way anyone to miss out. If you're investigating Christianity and you like the sound of the new world to come, the new creation, then please know that it is there for you. For anyone, you might not be from a Christian family, but that doesn't matter because it's through Jesus now. You might feel like you're missing out on life. I know a number of people who are sad to be unmarried. That's a real pain. But at the most important level, you're not missing out. You'll be the bride of Christ. And Christians, we are very nearly there. We need to keep in mind how it can possibly come to us though. 
We need to remember that it's, it's nothing to do with what we do or, or what our family situation is or, or our status in life. It's all completely to do with being united to Jesus. We're going to be celebrating communion later in this service. And that's a moment when we can say again, I get everything from you, Jesus. Thank you. The inheritance to come will be the best. And the inheritance to come will be for everyone. And as we close, I want us to think just about one more thing. Uh, by thinking a little bit more about the daughters of Zelophehad themselves. You see, through Numbers, there have been lots of characters, haven't there? Lots of different people. Um, but these are the people that are left for us to think about right at the end. They get this honored place at the end of the story. Many of the people that we've seen through Numbers have been bad characters, haven't they? Uh, the rebellious people, faithless people. Uh, the sons of Korah, or those spies who refused to lead the people into the land. Even the good ones, like Moses and Aaron, they've, they've been shown to be flawed. But these five women, they appear, and they're an antidote to all who've gone before. They're a, they're a palate cleanser. They're not heroic in action, just ordinary women waiting well for their inheritance to come. And in them we see the last thing for us today. We see that for now, we live by faith. For now, we live by faith. The daughters of Zelophehad came to Moses with their request to the tent of meeting. And it sounds a bit like some of those times, if you remember, where people came to the tent of meeting with a bad request and they got struck down. But here, this is fine. Why? Because it comes from believing the promises of God. They've heard all about the, what God says will happen in the future. All about the land. And unlike those spies, they've actually believed that God is going to give it to them. But as they've thought about it, they, they've realized that there's a problem for their family. But it's only a problem because they believe the promise. Faith starts with believing the promises of God. So they come boldly with their request and, and they don't get struck down because God's okay with us asking things when it comes from faith. Jesus says the same loads of times in the Gospels. Faith asks. And faith accepts the response. The first time God answers, he says that they're right. And the daughters, they must have been delighted. It would have been so easy to accept this. But it's in their reaction to the second question that we see their complete faith. 36 verse 10, they are told that they must marry within the tribe. And they, and they accept that too. But that might have been harder. You can, you can imagine them perhaps sort of tempted to kick against this. Who are you to tell me who I can marry and who I can't marry? But these, they accept it. And they are seen then as heroes of the faith who believe and accept God's word. And so they're honored with this place at the end of Numbers. And they're a model for us as we wait so nearly there for how we can live by faith. Believing, believing all the promises of God, all that He says, uh, all that He says that He has done for us in the past in Christ, all that He says He will do for us 
in Christ. Our foundation as Christians is believing what He says. And then asking, asking Him to fulfill all that He promises. Asking, us, asking for help that we might live by faith. And asking for help when there are puzzles and things that we don't understand. Living by faith means that we can ask and we should be quick in prayer. And faith means accepting. In the Christian life, God will have things to say to us. He might make demands of us. For example, He does take an interest in who we marry. He puts some limits in place. And He does want us to be part of His people, regularly meeting with His church family every Sunday. So, so we're not just doing our own thing. But in faith, we can accept these restrictions He places on us. So now as we wait for the world to come, we know that we are very nearly there. And we can follow the example of the daughters of Zelophehad as we live by faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, your promises to us, and in particular that promise for an inheritance in the new world to come. Stir up our hearts with excitement and anticipation for it, and help us to live now in faith, waiting for that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.